Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This week, Matt Densky is challenging us to examine our hearts and identify the one thing that we will usually withhold from Jesus. We study the story of the rich young ruler and observe that oftentimes we're willing to give Jesus most things, but not the one thing that we place the most value on. The question on the table is, Jesus is good, but do you consider him good enough to give him all? We hope you enjoy this message. All right, you can be seated. And everyone, I just want to thank you so much for coming. Welcome to our Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry United Nights. Uh, These are really, really, I think they're very special nights where our entire student ministry family comes together as a whole to worship together, to learn from God's Word together. Uh, And so I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, High schoolers in the room, you awake, you present, you here, let me hear you. Yes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But we have, we have some friends with us tonight. Middle schoolers in the room. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Man, it's so good to have you guys here. My name is Matt Dinsky. I serve here at Fellowship Greenville as one of the student ministry pastors. And uh, it is such a joy to be with you tonight. I want you to know that we believe you have a place to belong here in our student ministry. And we want you to know how loved you are. And if you hang around for any length of time, you will soon find out that we are all about Jesus here. We think he's the source of life, life and hope in this world, and uh, we hope you discover that as well. So thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, listen, it's almost summer, and so I, I want to... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Ah. Man. I feel, I mean, I dig the energy. If I'm, if I'm getting like room applauses for the season we're in, then I, I, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a pretty good job tonight. Uh, it is almost summer. I want to set you guys on a, on a good trajectory. I want to try to set you up the best possible way I can for summer. And so tonight, um, I want to go to one of my favorite passages in the scripture before we get there. I want to tell you a little story. A couple years ago, I was flying out to Colorado with my family. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. I have kids. I have kids. I do. I'm married. I have kids. Three kids. I do. It's true. It's true. This is my first time announcing this. I know. I'm, sometimes I'm shook myself. I got to be honest. Um, I do have kids. Actually, Alex, this morning I was, I, I literally came out of church, uh, came out of the student room. I was outside. I had Gray in my arms, Trent beside me holding on to my belt loop as we're walking. And then uh, my baby girl was holding my baby girl. And, um, and so we're walking to the car, and I literally heard out of my ear someone say, oh, did you know he has kids? And, and, I, yeah, and I look over to see if it's like the running joke, like someone is like, oh, he's got kids. Or if it's like someone legitimately was like, oh, wow, I didn't know the youth pastor had kids. And I couldn't find the voice. Like there was too many people. I couldn't see who was like watching me, which is also creepy. But I couldn't see it. So... I don't know, but that happened this morning. I do have kids. I have three. I am married, uh, celebrating 10 years of marriage this October. So, yes, yes, yeah, real fancy. And so, uh, listen, anyway, a couple years ago, we were traveling out to Colorado. We, we had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, and my oldest at that time was four, my middle was two, and my youngest did not exist yet. And so... Uh, we had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, and that is hard for little kids. That's hard for big adults, right? But it's hard for kids. So we woke up in the middle of the night. We get to the airport. We get checked in. Uh, actually, I had to do it two days in a row because 
the first day was so hard with the kids that we missed the flight a little bit. So we went back second day. So we're sitting in the plane, and I'm on row like 17, okay? 17A or something like that is my seat. And in front of me is row 16. And in this plane, row 16 and forward was like a different class. You know what I'm saying? Like when you fly, you get different classes. And based on the class you fly in, you get different perks, right? And so it wasn't first class in front of me, but it was like business or something, business class. I'm in the back. That's called economy class. That's for people with with kids, yes. <laughs> we can't afford business class in my family. And so, but I'm literally one row behind business class. Like my knees are in the seat of business class, okay? And so the lady starts coming around asking for the, the drink orders. And I ask her, I said, hey, do you guys have any milk? Because in my mind, like my kids at that point in time, all they're drinking is milk. They, they don't want anything else. They would drink juice, but because we woke them up at 3.30 in the morning, I don't want them to be all sugared up on this flight. I want them to like get some kind of something solid, something like with sustenance, and try to sleep on the flight. So I said, do you have any milk? She said, no, sorry, sir, we don't. I'm like, that's all right, we'll just take water. And so she takes all the orders. She goes, whatever they do, the, the flight attendants, you know, when they're like digging around in all the cabinets, she comes back with the loaded cart and she's passing out all this stuff. She hands us bottled waters. I say, thank you so much. She, puts it, she pushes the cart one row forward to row 16. All of a sudden, she takes out a banana. I'm like, oh, they got fruit in this flight? We didn't have that option. She sets it down on the person's tray. She takes out oatmeal. I'm like, oh, dang, business class be rolling. She puts the oatmeal down on their tray. She takes out yogurt. I'm like, okay, all right, mad flex in the business class. She puts it on. All, this person is getting an entire breakfast. And then she takes out milk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, not just one, multiples, multiples. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking, what, what you want? you want? You want 2%? You got it. You want skim? We got that. You want the chocolate chalk? We got that. You want that very appealing but always nasty strawberry? They probably had that in there as well. They had every single option that you could imagine, and she's literally just passing it. Like, people are... Like sleeping, snoring, mouth is wide open. They don't want no milk. And she's like setting it right down in front of them. Because why? Row 16 and up. Got the milk. Row 17 and back. Y'all got the trash water. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all got, got bottled water. And I sat there and I watched her pass out all this milk. And I'm like, literally, like I'm, I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, man, I feel bad for them because their sleep's so messed up and Colorado is a different time zone anyway and it's, it's going to be rough. And I'm like, dude, we just wanted, so you got plenty. And what I realized is when she told me, no, we don't have milk, what she meant was, no, we don't have milk for you. And I just remember sitting there thinking, literally, I'm one row behind the milk people. I, remember, I literally remember sitting there thinking, it is possible to miss it by a few feet. It is literally, this is a principle of life. It is literally possible to miss it by a few feet. Had I been one chair forward, guess what I would have had? Milk. But row 17, y'all don't get no milk. And not even like, oh, sir, I'm sorry, you know, regulations, they state milk is only allowed for certain, not even that. Just, no, we don't have any milk, sir. And then she's passing it out like candy on Halloween. And I'm like, you had milk. You didn't have milk for us. 
it is literally possible to have an entirely different reality, an entirely different experience. It is possible to miss something by just a few feet. Sometimes the outcome of life is missed by inches. And for me and my family, it was milk. But this applies to more than just milk. Tonight we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It is about a story of a young man in the Bible. And this young man, what we're told, we don't know his name, but we do get a few details. He's young. He has influence, like people follow him. He has some sense of authority, like what he say matters. He has influence. And what we learn is he's rich. He is wealthy. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, rich. Thank you. And thanks for adding. Thank you. And thank you for adding that Trevin draw in it. You know what I mean? It's not just rich. There's an extra syllable, rich, right? Like, rich. All right? So... What we know about this young man is he's young, but he has influence and he's wealthy. One of the reasons I love this story is because I feel like most, by and large, North American teenagers, especially in our area, can relate to this young man. He's young, he has influence, there are people that listen to his voice, and he has money. Now, you may not feel like you have money, but once you start traveling the world and you see like how good we have it here, you'll realize, oh, like my family, okay, like we're very blessed. We can relate to this young man. And another thing is he is curious about what happens after he dies, which is really unique because I feel like most young people are not. Like I, I was just having this conversation today. There was a window in my life where I felt invincible. Like I was at an age where I just like, I, whatever happens, happens. I can't get hurt. If I die, I die, right? Like it was just like nothing can bother me. But as I've gotten older, you know how you know when you get old is when your back hurts, but you don't know why. Like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did, but uh, I have to go get an MRI. Like I got out of bed, I guess. True story. That's when you know you're getting old. But when you're younger, it's like, Yo, I'm invincible. And most, I think most students are not thinking about life after death in the sense of, I just want to make sure I know what happens after I die. But this young man is, which is really unique. He's thinking about life after death. And so Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching um, some really unique things. And he's got a little bit of a following. There are people that are literally seeking out Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the rabbi, because they either want some miracle performed for them or someone in their life, or they're curious to know what he's going to say next. And this young man falls into that category. He hears that Jesus is in town, and he makes an effort to go see Jesus. So, Right on the front, I want you to know, I think everything about this young man is genuine. I don't think he's doing this for show. I don't think there's like some weird motive of like, yo, I just want to look good. I want it to look like I'm talking to the rabbi. I'm trying to like build myself up. I think Zacchaeus was that way, Luke chapter 19. I think Zacchaeus sought out Jesus to somehow elevate his own status. But I think this young man is extremely genuine and is curious to talk to this teacher about what happens in life after death. So let's go there. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him. Posture of respect. This is not, I don't think he's faking it. He comes and runs to Jesus. He kneels down before him and he asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You may read that and you may think he's putting 
a description on teacher. Like, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. Like I've had conversations with people and they're like, man, I, I just don't, I don't really like believe in Jesus the way you do. I think he was a good teacher. He taught some good things, but I don't believe in him, uh, which is interesting. Like I love Jesus, but I don't know if you've ever read through the gospels. He would not fall into the category of what I think we would consider a good teacher. Like Jesus spoke in riddles. He spoke in mystery. He would just leave you hanging and you'd walk away like, what, what did he just, what did that mean? Like he didn't provide clarity most of the time. And his disciples come to him and they're like, dude, you know people don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus is like, the hungry will. Like he, he's not what we would consider a good teacher in the sense of, man, I love listening to him. That was a great TED talk. I walked away with clear points, application. I got the five step. Like Jesus didn't do that. But that's not what this young man is saying. He's not calling him a good teacher. Like this, this Greek word here, the good there, is talking about someone's morals, someone's character, someone's state. So literally this young man is coming to him saying, you are a good person who teaches. That's what this young man is saying. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This young man has a question. I'm nervous about dying. I'm nervous about what happens when I die. I just want to know how do I make sure that I get to the good place? How do I know I go to heaven? when I die. You seem like you're a good person. I bet you'll go there and you teach about these things. Can you teach me? That's what this question is. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an interesting question and I think it's a a really uh, relatable question, an approachable question. Because what this young man's philosophy is all about is doing something to gain something else. Now, I said earlier, it's like, I don't think most teenagers are wondering like life after death. This is like the haunting question. Maybe you are, and that's cool. But I think most teenagers are just living in the moment. And so it's really interesting that this young man is curious about life after death. And so we don't know his story. We don't know the context. It could be that maybe like, maybe his parents just died. And maybe he's rich because of the inheritance he just got. And maybe that event has like jarred him into an awakening and a reality of like, man, life is short. Life is fleeting. I got to make sure I button this down. Here's a good person who teaches about things pertaining to the afterlife. I need to ask them. Maybe that's it. Or, and, and, I, would, and I would say probably more, this is my hunch, is this young man, for whatever reason, has money And he has had to build that success every step of the way. Like, I think his philosophy in life is, I work hard and I get a result. I put in effort and I have an outcome. I earn and I have. And I think his worldview is about doing. And so for whatever reason, he's curious about what happens when I die. And he comes to a good person who teaches about life and death and he asks him, What can I do? In other words, what are the steps I need to take to guarantee that when I die, I will go to heaven? Does this question resonate with you? Even if you've never asked it like this, man, what do I have to do? Even if you've never thought to yourself, what, how can I earn this? Is there something about this worldview that's resonating? I'm a little bit scared to die. Every now and then in my room, 
like in those sobering moments, like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., I just have these thoughts, like these very clear thoughts, and I, I do, I get a little bit nervous about like, oh man, how do I know? How do I know that I know? Like, how do I know I'll go to heaven? And uh, like, am I missing something? Is there something I need to do to make sure? You been there? Like, that's where this, this guy is. He comes to Jesus, good person who teaches, what can I do to make sure I go to heaven too? Now, I just want to take a sidestep here and say very, very clearly, one of the most beautiful things about our faith is that what we believe is you can't do. You can't do enough, and you can't earn enough, and there's no amount of effort that you could put in to gain eternal life. And that's not like discouraging. That is beautiful because it's not in your hands. It's in someone else's hands, and they were nailed to the cross on your behalf. Like our story is that God created man and woman in a perfect state of harmony in their relationship with each other and with God. And when they joined the rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world and every person since has been born with a curse. And that curse includes a brokenness in our relationship to God. And God, because he loves us so much, became one of us, Jesus, and Jesus lived in a perfect, harmonious relationship with God, accomplished something you or I could never accomplish. And here's the amazing thing, Jesus then bestows that to us on our behalf, and we, having done nothing but believed and received through faith by his grace. Like, that is a beautiful part of our story. It's not about what you've done, it's about what he did. It's not about how much you can do, it's about what he has already accomplished on the cross. And then Jesus gives that, that status of perfection to you. He literally applies it to your accounts. And so God deals with us as he's pleased in his son. This whole notion of doing is not part of our equation of receiving life from God. You've been made right with God because of what Jesus has done. Nothing about what you can earn. But we believe that. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that same trap, can't we? Dude, when I was a brand new uh, Christian, when I first believed in Jesus, I was 16 years old, and I was so, like, zealous. I was so fired up. I was so passionate. I lacked a lot of grace, like a lot of tact in my conversations. Like I, would, I had this huge old Bible and I would like pin, pin dudes to the locker at high school and I'd be like, yo, you believe in Jesus? They'd be like, nah, man. I'd be like, oh, you're gonna burn in hell. Like, let's talk about that. Like I needed some strategy, you know what I'm saying? Grace would have been good. Like how to, <laughs> my bad, man. Um, but I was very, very passionate. And so one of the things, one of the things I did is, dude, I, I would go door to door like a salesman. I would go door to door. I would knock on doors. I'm talking, I would blanket neighborhoods, house to house to house to house to house. I would go up, I'd ring the doorbell or I'd knock on doors. People would answer and I'd introduce myself and then I'd ask, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? <laughs> and, I, and I know you guys, you guys are thinking like, uh, was there like an adult with you? Nah, fam, like, nope. I had another high school student with me. I had another high schooler. There was no adults. Like, bro, we were just, we were just like, yo, we need to save our city, man. Like, let's go. So we would literally go door to door. And I would ask people, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? And it was sometimes that question would be so off-putting. 
Like people would get so offended, like the audacity to ask me that. It's like, all right, fam, just say, you don't know. I like, don't get mad at me. And then sometimes we would be met with an unbelievable, timely, anointed, timely uh, brokenness. Like people would be so prompted to respond to the gospel. I mean, that was rare, but it happened occasionally. Most times, though, the, the majority of the responses we got, most times people, and if you're like, how many times did you do this, Matt? I'm, ta- I'm talking like, I don't know, like multiple summers, okay? Multiple summers, blanketing blocks, neighborhoods. Most of the time, the responses I got were, you know, I, I hope I'd go to heaven. I, ho- I hope I'd go to heaven. Hey, can I ask you, like, why do you hope for that? Like, it doesn't seem like you're sure. Why do you hope for that? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to do more good than bad in my life. Uh, and I hope that, yeah, man, when I get up there, I hope God just sees that and lets me in. That was, by and large, the majority of the responses I got. I hope I've been good enough based on what I've done to get in. Does that sound familiar? Do you have friends or family that talk like that? Like, this is, this is how people think. Like, I, I'm trying to stack the scales, man. I know I've done some bad, but I'm trying to do a lot of good. I give to charity. I'm, I dress in a Santa costume in, in Christmas time, and I'm, like, ringing the bell for Samaritan's purse, you know? Like, I'm trying to do some good to outweigh the bad, and I just hope God lets me in. That is the most common response I ever got. And sometimes I would even ask people, like, that question, if you were to die tonight, do you know where to go? And oftentimes they would point to, like, yeah, because I obey the Ten Commandments. I'm trying to obey the Ten Commandments. It's like, wow, that's really, really hard. Yeah, it is, but I'm trying. It's this effort-based mentality. Like, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to be good enough. I'm trying to do enough, earn enough, stack the scales enough, outweigh my bad enough. And I'm hopeful that God lets me in. And the gospel we believe in does not rest on our earning and hoping that God recognizes all of our effort. The gospel we believe in is a guarantee of eternal life based on the accomplishment and work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb, not based on us. The pressure's off of you. Jesus has done it. But the young man in this story is asking Jesus that question, what can I do? Just let me know. Bro, if you give me a a 10-step list, I'll do them tonight. If you give me like, hey, do these three things, I'll do them. Just let me know what can I do. And look, Jesus' first response to him is not even answering his immediate question. Jesus actually asks him, why did you call me good? Verse 18, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus actually wants to pause his question for a minute. Oh, you want to know what you can do? Let me pause that. You called me good. Remember, not good teacher, good person who teaches. Jesus says, you called me good? Why'd you call me that? No one's good except God alone. What Jesus is asking this young man here in this, in this kind of cryptic way is, are you calling me God? Like, do you know? Do you really know? Like, he's kind of looking at this young man like, bro, you know? You know I'm God? Or you just think I'm a good person? No one's good except God. Am I God? 
Are you calling me God, or are you just calling me good? And without even letting the young man answer, Jesus answers his question in a really unique way. I want you to hear me on this. Jesus is not prescribing a works-based approach to salvation. He is kind of playing this game with this young man. He's doing this dance with this man. Like, oh, you want to know what you can do? All right, here's a list of things that you can do. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Going all the way back to the Ten Commandments. You know the commandments, don't you? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Some of those we struggle with in this room, come on. That last one in particular. Look how the young man responds. Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Could you imagine standing before Jesus and saying, hey, hey, I have honored mom and dad my whole life. Like, really, bro? Like, you understand, you heard me, right? Could you stand before God and claim that you've never talked about someone in a manner that wasn't quite true, painted a negative picture of someone that wasn't quite true, been unbelievably honest about every single statement you said about someone else? Like, Jesus even elaborates on these whole, like, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, listen, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I'm telling you, if you've been angry with your brother in your heart, you've already murdered. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Like, Jesus even takes it a step further. It's not just about what you perform with your hands. It's about the desires of your mind and heart. And this young man has the audacity, the boldness to look at Jesus and say, dude, I've done all of those cakewalk." Now, for those of you in the room, these are part of the Ten Commandments, yeah? Did you know that the Ten Commandments are divided into two categories? The last six are all about our relationship with each other. Don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't defraud, don't bear false witness, honor your mom and dad. The first four are all about our vertical relationship with God. Did you notice that when Jesus points this young man to the Ten Commandments, he bypasses those first four? Did anyone pick that up? This is not accidental on Jesus' part. He goes to the things that he knows this young man will consider easy. Oh, don't, don't lie? Haven't done it. Honor mom and dad? Sure, why not? We don't even know where his mom and dad are. Like, we don't even know if they're in the picture. Don't defraud anyone? I haven't. Like Jesus goes to the things that he knows will be easy for this guy because he wants him to kind of get caught in his own trap and he wants to make it very, very clear, if I had started with the first one, we wouldn't even be able to move past it. Does anyone know what the first of the Ten Commandments are? Nice and loud. The Ten Commandments, bro. That's a good one. That's a good one. Love others as you love yourself. That's in the New Testament. This is Old Testament, Exodus 20. Does anyone know? The first of the Ten Commandments. Marcos, I'm not calling any man. Does anyone know? All right, let me say it. Let me say it. Actually, let me just put it on. Let me me put it on the screen for you guys. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Let's go there real quick. We'll pause on Mark 10. Exodus 20, verse 3. Can we put it up? There we go. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus. No other gods before me. In other words, nothing gets more attention. Nothing gets more time. There's nothing in your life that has a higher value than me. 
If you elevate anything above your love and adoration and investment and attention and time and commitment to me, you have an idol. Don't do that. Because God is the best thing we could possibly experience. And God wanting and desiring his children to experience the best thing does not want you to fall into the trap of deceiving yourself to thinking lesser things could offer better things. God is the best thing. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't elevate anything above me. Jesus didn't start there. He started with some of the easier things for this young man. The young man responds. Let's go back to Mark now. The young man responds. He says, Jesus, I've done all these since my youth. This is amazing. This is incredible. I just want to know what happened. How do I guarantee that I'll go to heaven when I die? Everything you just told me I've already done. This is great. I'm ecstatic. I'm going to heaven. And Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. One more thing, one more thing. If you really want to do this whole like earning game, this doing game, one more thing. Jesus looked at him, verse 21. Jesus looks at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing. You lack one more thing. You can kind of see the, you know, imagine the young, all right, lay it on me. I'm ready. Everything else I've already done, lay it on me. Jesus says one thing. Go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. That's it. If you really want to know what you can do, go and sell everything you have. Jesus didn't start there because he wants to pull this young man into the proximity and the sensitivity and the delicateness of what he's about to say. Let me translate what Jesus means here. Jesus is telling him, I want me to be the God of your heart, not money. You have a lot of it. You have a lot of treasure. I want to give you treasure too. It's just a different kind. It's treasure in heaven. Go and sell everything you have. Get rid of the God of your life, money, and make me the God of your life. The very thing that you're not willing to give up, give it up. And then follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. Let that be enough. Young man heard this disheartened by could you imagine could you imagine feeling like everything this good person who teaches is telling you you've already got like i've obeyed all these this is phenomenal i got it dude oh one more thing okay what is it give away everything you just stopped in your tracks so no like surely i misheard him he can't mean give away my whole life i do sell it all sell everything you have and give it away Give it to the poor. Follow me. Young man heard this. It sank in. He realized what Jesus was saying was what he was saying. He's weighing out the options. Here's this good person who teaches about life and death, and they're telling me if I really want to have life, I will sell everything I own. I will literally give away my life to gain this life. Or... I could still live this life and have all the money and have all the treasures of, of this world and everything this life has. Like you can feel the tension and he's wrestling and he's weighing these things out. And Jesus wasn't good enough in comparison. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This young man couldn't give away his wealth to follow Jesus. Wealth was his God. Wealth was his one thing. Wealth was the one thing he couldn't give up. 
man, what can I do? Just tell me what to do. Give me a list of things to do. And Jesus is like, all right, let's play this game. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the young man's like, I've done all that. It's great. Oh, one more, one more. Sell everything you have. No, not that, not that, not that. Like, give me another one. Nope, that's the one. I want your heart. I'm much more concerned about your heart than I am your, your list. I want your heart, and your, right now your heart belongs to your money. Give me your heart. And the young man couldn't do it. You know what's amazing about this invitation? Tell me this. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Good job. Thanks, Marcos. Appreciate that, man. Hey. Hey. Button up your shirt, bro. But hey, thanks, man. <laughs> hey, I'm kidding, bro. <laughs> he had twelve. Do you know, like Jesus would give corporate invitations to follow him? Like, he would look at a crowd, like Luke 9, 23 is a great example. Hey, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He'd, he'd give that invitation to a crowd, but to say the words, follow me, to an individual was exceedingly rare. Jesus didn't do it. He would say it to a crowd, but not a person. This isn't just this weird, like, invitation into salvation. Jesus is literally extending a hand here to be the 13th disciple. He's literally giving an invitation into the inner circle. With the rest of the disciples. This isn't just like, hey, follow me in the way that we talk about it. Like, hey, believe in Jesus. And you, Jesus is literally saying, give up your money, walk with me, join the crew, follow me, make me your rabbi. And the young man's weighing that out, and he can't do it. Every time I interact with this story, I think to myself, man, the disciple Matthew wrote a book that we now read, and we get to know Jesus through that book. There's another book called Mark. Mark was influenced by Peter, who traveled with Jesus. And we read about Jesus because of Peter's influence to Mark. Luke wasn't one of the original disciples, but he was kind of like this detective doctor. And he went around and gathered stories. John was a disciple. We read about Jesus from John. John has multiple books in the New Testament, actually. Every time I interact with this passage of Scripture, I think to myself, I wonder if this young man would have eventually written a book that we would be reading today had he followed Jesus. I wonder what stories the other disciples would have been writing about this guy. We don't know his name. He remains unknown because wealth was the God of his heart. But I wonder what stories might have been included in the Gospels if he had said yes. He's literally weighing out life with Jesus and treasure that I don't see or life here and treasure that I can tangibly hold. And this treasure was the God of his heart, not this treasure, not Jesus. And he walks away from a personal invitation to follow Jesus. It's like unbelievable. It is possible to miss it by a few feet. It is possible to literally be, this young man is kneeling at the feet of Jesus, asking him this question, good person who teaches, what can I do to inherit eternal life? It's possible to be inches away and still miss it. And I love you guys enough to tell you this, but I want to just insert the thought, is it possible that you've grown up in church, that you've heard the gospel enough times, that you've heard enough messages about Jesus, maybe even one about the rich young ruler, that you've gotten so familiar to hearing about it that, you're, that you've convinced yourself you have it 
and you are actually missing it because you've just never fully tipped into giving it all to Jesus. I think there are tons of people within the church as a whole who are like 99% in, but they're not all the way in. It is possible to miss it by just a few feet. So here's what this, uh, this guy's doing. Let me give you like this visual here, all right? These are some, uh, some toy blocks that my kids have played with over the years, okay? So uh, we got a few different colors here, purple, blue, green, red. We got this yellow boy right here, okay? I'm going to put yellow. I'll put him right here. Can everyone see that? Okay. So here's what this young man's doing. He comes to Jesus, good person who teaches about life and death. It seems like you know something I don't. What can I do? Like, bro, I've got all this stuff ready to go. Like, I, just tell me, and I'll start building my tower right now. I'll lay the foundation. I'll build up the tower. Tell me what I can do. What more do I need to contribute? What more do I need to add to my little tower? Because I just want, I want life. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I want to know that everything is guaranteed and everything is set. Just tell me, oh, you need me to contribute this? Okay, cool, man. That'll go right on the foundation. Oh, this one too? Great, 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 great. I got a cool little foundation getting built over here. What else do I need to do? Okay, cool. I got those. I've been doing that. Jesus says, hey, man, let me just go to the Ten Commandments. You seem like a task guy. You seem like a list guy. Here's some Ten... Oh, those are great, dude. Honor your father and mother. I got that one. That's so good. Don't defraud. Man, I've built that one up over time. Let me tell you, don't bear false witness. Let me put that on the stack. This is so good. And all the while that we are contributing these things to Jesus in our effort to impress him or earn life from him or whatever, these are all the things that we're actually willing to give over. These are all the colors that we're willing to let go of. And Jesus, meanwhile, is hearing us do this and seeing us do this. And he's going, hey, uh, this is really impressive, but let me just look past these for a minute. What about that one right over there? I, I, I just can't help but notice, bro, that you haven't put any yellow in the, in the stack of earning here. What about that one over there? And our response is like, no, 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 no don't worry about that one. Don't worry about that one. Stay focused on the, uh, stay focused. Dude, what, what else do you want? You want me to wake up early 5 a.m. and just read my Bible? Dude, I got it. I can do that, right? You want me to start praying more? I can do it, bro. You want me to join a small group? Sure, why not? I can do that when Jesus is like, <clears throat> no, no, these are great. These are great. But it seems like these are the things you're willing to give up. What, what's this one you're hiding over here? And we're like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that one, bro. Like, focus on my tower here, bro. I, like, wh what else? What do you need me to do? You need me to like, make a big decision. You want me to go to Epic? And like, dude, I'll do it. I'll stand up. This is great. You know what I've, you know what I've noticed about <clears throat> the way that we approach our spirituality? It's like when an invitation to follow Jesus gets put out there, like, hey, who wants to follow Jesus tonight? Everyone's like, wow. Who wants to give Jesus your everything? People are like, wow. Write your sin on a sticky note, and then we're going to burn it. <laughs> right? Like, we get, we're all about this invitation to give Jesus everything. But what if the invitation was way more specific? What if you were at a retreat? What if you were at some conference? What if you were just at a Sunday night service? 
And the invitation wasn't to give Jesus your everything, because we seem to kind of like blanket approach it. I've got everything, look at my tower. We seem to be all about giving Jesus everything. What if the invitation was, hey, search your heart. Are you willing to give Jesus the one thing? Are you willing to give Jesus the one thing you tend to hold back? Are you willing to give Jesus the one thing you tend to hope he doesn't put a finger on? The one thing that like deep down you just feel like you couldn't do without. You definitely give it more time. You definitely give it more attention. You definitely give it more affection, more investment of your energy, possibly even your money. Like the one thing that you're hoping Jesus doesn't lay his eyes on because you're building this tower of effort and work and like, but look at this. I'm willing to give you all this, bro. I've done all of this since my youth. And Jesus says, yeah, but your wealth, that's what I want your heart. And your heart is connected to your money. Sell it all. Forget this. Give me your heart. And the young man sorrowful walks away. It is possible to miss it by a few feet. And convince ourselves that we've got it. Because we're so unwilling to let go of something that this world offers that pales in comparison to the kingdom of God. As long as we hold on to our one thing, Jesus can never be our main thing. He just can't. Going back to Exodus 20, verse 3, you've got a God other than Jesus in your life. You've got something of a higher elevation. You've got something of a higher affection. You've got something that you care more about than fully surrendering to Jesus. And you're deceiving yourself because you look at everything you're willing to give and you kind of impress yourself with all that. And you're hoping, you're hoping, man, when I die, I just hope. I hope God looks at this and he's like, yo, you've been good. Why do you call me good? Are you calling me God? No one's good except God alone. See, most of us believe that Jesus is good. The question tonight is, is he good enough to give him everything? You think he's good? Great. Is he good enough? As long as we hold on to the one thing, Jesus can never be our main thing. So what is your yellow block What is the one thing in your life that you're like, dude, I keep coming back to it. I know I need to give it to Jesus. I know I need to lay it down, and I can't. I've tried. I want to be all in, but not, uh, but I don't want to lose that. Is there a way I could have Jesus end this? Not if it's the God of your heart, bro. What is your yellow block? I think for some of us, I think for some of us, it's the idea of like our future. Like, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be all in. But, but I kind of have a design for my life already planned out. I know where I want to go to college. I know what I want to study. I know where I want to live. I know what I want my vocation to be. I'm kind of worried that if I go all in, you're going to like send me to Africa or something weird like that. I'm kind of worried if I go all in, you're going to ask me to like, live in poverty and give everything away to follow. I'm I'm just kind of worried if I give you everything, my whole future, my whole plan, my whole American dream will be destroyed. Let it be destroyed. Have treasure in heaven. Discover life 
What can I do to inherit eternal life? Give him everything. I think for some of us, it's like relationships. Man, you want to talk about an idol of the heart. There are, there are people who treat their boyfriend or girlfriend like if they don't have them, they don't have oxygen. I got a newsflash. You have an idol. They are not God. They do not bring you life. They do not sustain you. I'm just saying they're bad. Like, you guys know I got a bae, and I love her, but she's not the God of my heart. And praise God, I'm not the God of her heart. But some of us have relationships, and we come to God, and we're like, man, Jesus, I I want you. I want life in you, but, like, I have this relationship, and yeah, it's unhealthy, and yeah, we fool around, and yeah, we do inappropriate things, and I, I really want you, but I also want to maintain this, and I know it's like not good for me, and there's some red flags, and there's some toxic stuff, but I just can't seem to let it go. What's your yellow block? Some of us have addictions we just can't let go. We find ourselves there again and again and again. Late at night when no one's around, your mind starts to wondering. We go to the things that comfort us. What's your yellow block? Some of us have an image idol. We want people to see us a certain way, perceive us a certain way, and we have put way more time and energy into trying to grow our brand on social media than we're willing to admit. And we are desperately, desperately afraid of how people see us. And we create realities about it, and we live into it, And then we perform based on those realities. Let it go. What's your yellow block? Some of us, it's control. Like, dude, I'm worried if I give it all to Jesus, I won't have control. And control is my security blanket. Let it go. What's your yellow block? For some of us, it's time. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I just don't have time. Like, I don't have time to pray and seek God. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. That's cool. If you wouldn't mind, just hand me your phone real quick. Let me pull up your screen time. We'll see how much time you have. You have the time. You don't have priorities. Jesus is love. What's your yellow block? Like, it is possible to miss it by a few feet. It is possible to be at the feet of Jesus, having a conversation with him about life and death and miss it. It is possible to walk with Jesus for three years as a disciple and then betray him and miss it. It is possible to grow up in church your entire life and miss it. Do not mistake church attendance for life in Jesus. What's the one thing? As long as we hold on to the one thing, Jesus can never be our main thing. So what's your one thing that you need to lay down tonight? I want to invite you into just a minute of reflection. It's an invitation. A minute to sit there as the music plays and to posture yourself before Jesus and to do business with God tonight and to literally invite the Spirit to provoke your heart to reveal the one thing. God, what is my yellow block? What am I holding on to that I'm so scared to let go of? What do I just not want to get rid of? What, do, what, what, do, what am I fearful of not having as a part of my identity and my DNA? Why am I so afraid that if I give that to you, life will somehow be worse? Would you take a minute and courageously seek your own heart, search your own heart? Would you identify what the one thing is 
and maybe, just maybe, have the courage to give it to God tonight. To come to him and say, I don't even know what it looks like, but it's yours. Why don't we take the next minute and you begin to pray and listen to the Spirit. What is he telling you? Is your one thing? Go ahead.